Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories. My name is Graham Brown. We're going to talk about one of the key challenges that us entrepreneurs face, and that is we work so damn hard. When do we actually get time to enjoy the fruits of our labors? And one of the things we, we all think about is like that time where we can go and travel the world. It's sort of work now or travel the world. But what happens if you could do this together right here, right now? You could work and you could go and travel the world. To help us understand whether that's possible or not, I'm joined in the studio from Gogon in New Delhi, Nitin Sahani. Nitin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Graham. Great to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. This is a really exciting subject. Just a bit of background before we get in. Why I'm excited, why I'm excited is because I've been traveling the world since 2012, so the last six years. So I think we travelers have a kindred spirit. Let's talk a bit about Reboot Life. What is it all about? So uh, thanks, Graham. Uh, Reboot Life is a remote work and travel program. And what that means is that anybody who's got a job that is location independent, so people who have a job that they can do remotely, uh, can come onto this program and uh, decide to travel the world. Uh, so our program lasts over a period of one year, and we we call a new city uh, our home every month. Mm. So over a period of one year, you can actually live in 12 different cities across the world, uh, do your job from there, and, uh, you know, End of the program, you've uh, you've had had a journey of a lifetime, and you've still not compromised on any of your uh, professional or personal goals. Mm. And uh, the company, uh, which is Reboot Life, uh, creates the itinerary, uh, gets you uh, an incredible group of co-travelers who are always with you, and it makes hassle-free travel for you. So you you know everything is arranged mm. uh, uh, in every city that uh, you travel to, and there's somebody on the ground who's always there to you know, uh, take you around. So, so Reboot Life is a remote work and travel program. And uh, when we say it's for remote workers, uh, it's very important to understand that remote workers typically uh, do not fall into only one single, mm. you know, uh, shell, which is uh, freelancers and, and tech entrepreneurs and, you know, people who uh, have decided to, to be their own boss. But a lot of uh, remote, uh, a lot of remote workers are actually from regular corporate jobs, uh, people who have, roles that they can do remotely, you know, their company allows it uh, allows them to do so, or they, you know, uh, uh, reason with their bosses and their and their companies that uh, their role actually doesn't mm. require them to come to the office every day. So, so there are a lot of people who do this. And of course, then the whole, uh, you know, uh, uh, the genesis behind the name Reboot Life, I mean, is, uh, you know, ensures that people who are also in a position in, in a situation in life where they actually want to reboot, you know, they, they are undergoing a, uh, a time in their life and they want to take a step back. Uh, they want to reevaluate their goals. They want to meet interesting people. They want to travel the world. And they just want to do this uh, for a few months uh, mm. to reboot their life. So, so that's, that's what it is. It's, it sounds awesome. It's a proper experience, isn't it? And you say that the people who want to reboot their life, everybody wants to reboot their life, don't they, really? I mean, everybody <laughs> wants to evaluate what's important, think about, you know, what their goals are in life. Everybody wants to meet interesting people. Everybody wants to have this experience. I guess the challenge is it's not everybody is ready or I guess people tell themselves stories which sort of stop them taking advantage of these kind of experiences, don't they? Yes. So 
we'll talk a little bit about that. But before we do that, we've got to talk about these 12 amazing cities that you're heading to. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. So yeah. starting the 5th of May, don't, we don't have to go through every single city. Just let's start with the first city and we'll skim through the other ones because that in itself is a whole bunch of podcasts. But let's start with the first one. 5th of May, where are you going to be? So the first uh, program uh, kicks off in Bali, Indonesia on 5th of May. And uh, I'll quickly take you through all the 12 because uh, it's, it's something which is, we are very excited about. So uh, in the month of May, we are in Bali. In the month of June, we then travel to uh, Chiang Mai in Thailand. Uh, we then shift to Europe and uh, we go to uh, Istanbul in, in Turkey. Uh, from Istanbul, we fly to uh, Budapest in Hungary. From Budapest, we go to Split in Croatia. From Split, we go to Leipzig in uh, in Germany. From Leipzig, we go to Sevilla in Spain. Then we come back to Asia, so we go to Dubai for one month. From Dubai, we go to Cape Town in South Africa. From Cape Town, we fly to Wellington in New Zealand. From Wellington, we go to Melbourne in Australia. And we finally end the program in Tokyo, Japan. Wow. That's insanely exciting. I mean, that's sort of around the, the here's the thing. That's the kind of dream itinerary that you only sort of think about twice in your life. And that is once when you graduate or before you graduate, often people want to take what they would call in the UK or Australia gap year, which is, you know, yeah. take a bit of time out, backpack around Southeast Asia and so on. Or, you know, you retire, stroke, win the lottery, which is the only other time ever people think they're able to go and do this kind of thing, but you're giving them an option right here, right now, yes. which I, I think that must blow people's minds. Let's talk about some of those options. Let's start with Bali and Chiang Mai. Why did you pick these cities? Was it just because you could go there or is there a reason why you have those no, 12 so, cities? Like so, uh, so Graham, in fact, the selecting the itinerary is probably one of the first and the most critical job of Reboot Life as a company. And we take a lot of you know, pain in deciding it. So the factors that guide us is, one, uh, we want to offer as much of a diverse experience as possible. So we select 12 cities in 12 different countries. So we are not trying to repeat uh, the same country. So they're not two cities in the same country. We're doing 12 different countries. So one is diversity in terms of the cultural background of that you know, city that you're going to, what it has to offer in terms of history, in terms of you know, the modern uh, you know, uh, architecture that it might have, the current vibe that it you know, sort of uh, resonates uh, when you travel there. Uh, secondly, we also make sure that we uh, travel to every city in a month, uh, which is either uh, you know, good season or shoulder season, but we, we, we avoid... Uh, you know, extreme weather, so extreme mm. summer, extreme winter, extreme, you know, rainy season, all those need to be avoided. And we have to make an itinerary that, you know, sort of is a round trip across three to four continents. You can't cover all six, but uh, you minimum cover three, and we try to cover four continents in every itinerary. So this is the first, you know, this is the inaugural program, but the next program, which will start towards the end of 2018, will cover continents of uh, South America, North America, uh, probably Europe and Africa. So, you know, the, again, it's a, it's sort mm. of a, a round trip, and uh, the idea is to uh, offer as much diversity and you know cultural richness to to, to the uh, the participants who are there on the program, and also to make sure that they travel in in the months where they can really enjoy that city and soak it in uh, during good weather. Right. Yeah, I mean that's really important, isn't it? You don't you, you're flying between north and south hemisphere as well. So yeah. you have to kind of, you know, you don't want to be flying people from 30 degrees into, you know, you fly in places like Wellington in winter. It can be pretty cold, right? Yes, very cold. So you've got, very all, windy. 
that is mapped out. Why did you pick Bali and not Jakarta? And why did you pick Chiang Mai and not Phuket or Koh Sami in Bangkok? Yeah, what, what, what was the reason behind that choice? So it's very interesting that uh, as, of, as on date, uh, Bali and Chiang Mai happen to be the digital nomad capitals of the world. Mm. So the maximum number of uh, uh, foreigners uh, traveling as digital nomads, people who are not there just for holiday, but they're actually, you know, living there and they're working and, and you know, all they need is, you know, their laptop and a Wi-Fi connection and they're good to go. So it's, it is it is the, you know, nomadic uh, capital of the world, both Chiang Mai and Bali. So secondly, the kind of uh, cultural diversity that, uh, you know, in uh, Indonesia and specifically Bali offers in terms of its, uh, you know, temples and its, mm. its uh, dances and so, so many, so many other things. It's very unique. So Indonesia is a predominantly Muslim country, and yet Bali is a predominantly Hindu uh, island. So it's a, it's a very unique, you know, uh, experience that you get once you're there. And of course, you meet a lot of interesting people. It's a it's a tourist hot hotbed as well. So not only will you meet you know digital nomads, but you will also meet a lot of uh, tourists, and uh, you know the, you can strike conversations with interesting people. Same with Chiang Mai. So it's it's a little bit away from the hustle bustle of uh, you know Bangkok and uh, Phuket. And uh, Koh Samui is a great uh, destination to go for a holiday. Uh, but uh, the kind of interaction you would have with uh, with the locals and uh, and even with the uh, with the tourist population would be uh, a far cry from what you could actually do in Ch- uh, in Chiang Mai. Mm-hmm. Chiang Mai has a a huge population of of uh, you know these digital nomads, and that's that's what the experience is about. So we want somebody who's, for example, somebody is a software developer in a company like Microsoft or IBM, right? And he is he taken uh, this uh, you know decision to go on this program, and this person is traveling to these places. He wants to interact with other people who are doing interesting things. Yes. So people are you know there, there are new ventures coming up every day in you know cafes across these cities, and and that's what you want to be a part of. That's what you want what you want to experience. Yeah, I would vouch for that. That that's a very important part of this whole ecosystem, isn't it? Is that fusion of different ideas and different cultures. And, you know, being open to your surroundings and innovation just that could be around you in an everyday context, which sometimes if you're stuck in an office, you don't, because you're sort of stuck with routine and familiarity, you don't sort of think like that. And by the way, your first choice, Bali, I think that's a fantastic choice. I mean, I spent a bit of time, I spent a bit of time in both Bali and Chiang Mai. And I I don't know if you're going there, but I head up to Hubert in Ubud. Yeah, yes, yes. Well, we we were going to be, but they're actually uh, completely booked. I, I spoke to the, the to the founder owner. Steve. Of yeah. Yeah, Steve. Yeah, I, I did speak to him uh, earlier uh, last year. Right. Uh, but we are going to be in, a, in an equally interesting place in Bali, and we are actually uh, staying in Ubud. Right. The group right. is going to be stationed in Ubud, and the co-working space is also in Ubud, and it's overlooking you know a water body and some rice fields. It's very 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 nice uh, location we've got there. Yeah, I mean, you have to sort of describe that location for people to understand it. I mean, take take Ubud as an example. When I went there, you know, you go to Ubud, which is the town, which is out of the the main city in Bali, which is sort of famous for craft and woodworking and all those sort of artistic, there's a few temples there and so on. And then you get to this co-working space made out of bamboo effectively the whole thing's made out of bamboo and you're sort of sitting in this co-working space and you've got your laptop open overlooking a rice field and some temple in the background and you're thinking is this real and the guy sitting next to you i mean the guy sitting next to me everybody talks to each other there they say hey what are you working on what are you doing everybody's sort of really open because everybody's in that mobile situation this guy here is a software engineer for google 
right? And this guy over here is, you know, he's he's building some drop shipping operation in Vietnam, but he's based in Indonesia. And it sort of blows your mind because you're thinking, wow, hang on a second. These people are doing things I didn't know was possible. You know, I thought this kind of my own little world over here. And then suddenly these people are doing things. So uh, just curious to know about how you okay. how you sort of structure that for your for your cohort, so to speak. How do you get them exposed to all these kind of amazing experiences and ideas when you go out there? Uh, so first of all, let me let me also describe the the co working space that we've uh, you know partnered with, and uh, the group is going to be working from there. So it's it's a it's an independent uh, villa, uh, a huge uh, you know place uh, in in the heart of Ubud, and uh, not only do you have a terrace that overlooks the the rice fields, but you actually have uh, a private pool for the members of the co-working space. So you can actually work around the pool in the evening or in the afternoon. You can actually jump inside the pool. And that pool is an infinity pool that overlooks the rice field again. Wow. So, you know, you, you've got a cafe in-house. You know, some of the best coffee in, in Bali is actually served in that place. That's what I've heard. I've, I'm really looking forward to trying it myself uh, when I travel with the group. So so that's that's about the place. But as you rightly said, the idea of having, uh, you know, the entire group work in a uh, so-called public, uh, you know, co-working space and not a private co-working space only for our group. We insist on a public co-working space because we, the whole idea of this group coming together is that people want to get enriched by meeting other people, by being exposed to newer ideas of what people are doing in their lives, in their careers. So that it gets limited if you're only, you know, exposing mm. them to the group that they're traveling with. Because the people they're traveling with, anyways, they're going to spend a lot more time. They're going to spend time on the flights. They're going to spend time in the accommodation you know uh, they are going to get to know these uh, co travelers very well but in the co-working space is actually the opportunity where you get to meet more like-minded people who are also doing something very you know unique uh, exciting hmm. in their respective lives and and you want to be a part of that be, be a part of that conversation at least and you want to learn what people are doing so so it's very important for us to select co-working spaces which are relatively larger which have, you know, an expo like if we're going with 30 to 50 people, then uh, the co-working space has an exposure of at least 150 to 200 people. Hmm. And that's how, you know, it really makes uh, the whole experience more rewarding for everyone. Are people actually getting work done? You've got a pool, you've got, you know, a place like Bali, you can go and explore all the, the temples. You've got all these distractions, you can go and eat food, like go and explore the local street hawker stalls. People might say, well, this is just sort of a, you know, around the world trip dressed up as a bit of work, you know, that must be sort of a criticism people are thinking in the back of their mind that this isn't work. But, uh, okay, so it could be a criticism, uh, you know, from people who uh, are not willing to give it a shot because the people who are willing to give it a shot and they actually have decided that they're going to work remotely and travel at the same time, such people are usually very disciplined because their work mm. is what's, you know, allowing them to lead this carefree lifestyle and, you know, to live this uh, dream, so as to say. If they stop working or if they're not disciplined, uh, they will not get work done and, you know, they will lose their clients and it becomes a, a downward spiral from there. Now, on our program, if somebody is specifically, you know, uh, selected to treat this as a holiday, all right, and they're, not, they're coming only for a couple of months and they're saying, okay, it's just an experience I'm going for, then of course, I mean, their objective is very different, but Majority of people who join such programs and majority of digital nomads, so as to say, I've met quite a few on my travels, you know, in the in the past couple of years, uh, they are very, very disciplined. They're mm. actually more disciplined than uh, your regular office goers are because they know that they've got to make a living 
doing this work very seriously and 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 they 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 rise early they basically are there uh, at breakfast they're in your, their co-working space or in the cafe that they work from and they would like to get their work done by 3 or 4 in the evening so then they can you know you know you know kick back and probably have have a couple of hours off and uh, uh enjoy the rest of the evening but they they actually work monday to friday and they only take their weekends and do their trips whenever they have to yeah this is a really important point i think you know that that digital nomad lifestyle that is sold on the internet is there's a lot of very interesting um trends within that and it sort of challenges a lot of assumptions i think the sort of the 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 quick fix to people's you know dream of getting out there and traveling the world and work is these sort of websites where they sell pictures of you know somebody with a laptop on the beach for example there's there's a lot of that and yeah. i think you know or people just sort of bumming around just enjoying themselves but i think you know what you find is and it sounds like this is the the kind of cohort you're trying to build on your 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 experiences is that actually when you go to these places the real productive digital nomads or the people that join your your reboot life program don't sit around on the beach all day day in day out because after a while that gets kind of boring they actually want to make stuff so they you know they're in the shade in the co-working space you know building an app or building an e-commerce website or you know working for head office back in San Francisco for example they're actually working pretty damn hard and i would I would submit I don't know what your experience of this is they actually are far more productive than people who work in offices. Absolutely. And they're actually they're uh uh professional studies in in the US and in the European market in fact even in the Asian market now which uh, clearly you know identify that uh, remote workers and remote workers are not only the ones who are working remotely full time but even people working from home once a week or twice a week that is also remote work. So remote workers are more productive and more efficient and they are less likely to you know uh, change their jobs uh, often so as a company uh, you know uh, as a policy more and more companies are realizing that allowing people to work remotely either part time or even full time is beneficial both in terms of the productivity that they're getting from the employee secondly the uh, retention that they're able to you know uh, attract from from this group of people so there's less uh, retrenchment and finally they also can save cost Like I'll give you a very interesting example. I was in in Singapore last year, and I met a uh, a friend who uh, was with me uh, in my MBA in in, in Germany. So he's uh, one of the people who's in the strategy team for uh, for a very big bank uh, worldwide. And he said that uh, as a strategy, you know, person, we've calculated the expense of having one employee in the in the office for the entire year and that works out to be close to about you know 10000 US dollars 10 or 11000 US dollars mm. and he said that now we have identified at least 12% of our workforce uh, that doesn't need to be in the office which means that probably 30 or 40% of them don't need to be in the office every day so some of them can work from home once a week somebody can work from home twice a week some roles can be done completely you know uh, uh, off off site and collectively we can have 12% less requirement of space uh, housekeeping so you know all the expenses that go with running an office and that's huge like for a bank yeah, like that yeah. that 12% of, uh, of of savings is like 100 million dollars yeah, so yeah. it's it's a huge uh, uh, realization that companies are having yeah uh, and those are all the tangible costs as well there's a lot which is hidden there like you say for example if you work remotely you're more likely to stay in the job right 
So how do you put a cost on that? Because how much do these banks spend on recruiting people every year? I mean, you know, they spend hundreds of millions on that alone. So I think you say 12%, maybe within a generation, we'll we'll be saying, well, yeah, 12% of our workforce work in the office, right? Then, you know. Yeah, it's possible. It's it's a shift, isn't it? I mean, I, I had an office many years ago, we're going back 20 years, and I had, team of people in London. I was always very suspicious of people said, can I work from home? I thought, you know, when they meant work from home, they meant sort of get up at 9.30, watch a bit of TV, <laughs> drink a cup of tea, you know, and just sort of not really do anything all day. But in these yeah. scenarios, I think the productivity is, is multiplied, isn't it? Not only do you not have distractions, like you don't have to commute, you don't have to, you're not in sort of internal meetings all the time. And also, you're surrounded by really positive people. And I think that's, you know, going back to your friend talking about the bank example, how important that is. If you're surrounded by people who are motivated from different backgrounds, I mean, can you put a value on that? I mean, how do you quantify that? I think for, for, a, for an organization, the way that they can quantify simply is uh, the uh, affinity to the job that an employee would have. So like this study said that retention rates are higher by 25% uh, for companies uh, who allow people to work remotely. So their remote workforce is 25% more likely to stick around right. than their uh, uh, their uh, counterparts who are working in the office. And also, it, they're about 28% more productive. So uh, they did a study on people doing the same job, and you know a group of them were in the office, and a group of them were allowed to work remotely. Mm-hmm. And the productivity of the same, so comparing apples to apples, it was 28% more. And this is a, a survey which, which was published online uh, last year. In fact, I'll send you a link uh, once this conversation yeah, is over. Yeah. So, it's, so fascinating. It's, it's fascinating. So you not only are you getting more productivity, you're also, as you said, you're, you're going to uh, retain these good employees for a longer time because mm. they don't have a reason to switch anymore. Right, right. I mean, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not angry. I mean, they're not concerned about the commute. They're, they're not stressed about you know, the non-productive things that you have to do to get to an office, uh, they're less likely to be, you know, uh, distracted by uh, office gossip and other things. Yes. So yeah. It is, it's, it's, a, it's a win-win for the company and the employee. Yeah. Without a doubt, I think it's the future. And our sort of concept of work and the office is changing radically. And I think digital nomads really were at the cutting edge of that. They really have pushed the envelope in terms of what's possible. And, and now, as, you're, as you've mentioned, the studies are being done and we're starting to see large organizations who are, you know, starting to change their position from one of being, okay, this is sort of uh, something we look at with suspicion to something which is actually really beneficial to our company long term. And how, who, who knows how long this is going to take, but the, the default shape of an organization in the future, maybe they don't have an office. You know, maybe they do exist all over the world. I mean, there are plenty of companies that behave like that. I mean, look, for example, there was a there was an article published in Business Insider this week which talked about, and this is uh, Google Workforce. So there are people commuting effectively 10 hours. So they would travel from Oregon City to San Francisco to the headquarters of Google. Obviously, they're not doing it every day. They would stay in San Francisco and commute home at the weekends. What kind of a lifestyle is that? These these people probably don't need to be there. They could get on your program or you know, at least get a backpack or can find somewhere in the world where they can live. It could be even in America, right? But 
you know, we're seeing more and more of location independence as a, as you know, it, I think it becomes the default position of work in the future, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, why to go far? If I look at my own organization, I, I have my entire team, except for, you know, the three of us who work uh, in Gurgaon presently, and even we are going to be moving. My entire team is, is remote working. There's absolutely not one person who's required to come to an office and, and work every day. And we've yeah. been doing that for the last eight months now. But does it take a type of mindset to make that productive? Because uh, like your Reboot Live program, it's not for everybody, right? It, it won't work for everybody. So Yeah, it won't. It won't. And, and like remote working as well. Do you need a type of mindset to make that work? Is there something which, you know, you, you have to train people to get right? Or do you think it takes a certain type of person to be more productive in that environment? Well, so first of all, uh, the uh, most... Uh, common reason why you can't work remotely is if you need to be in the office for interactions either with the you know internal customers or with external customers or your job is such that it requires you to be in you know proximity to to other people in your office right but if you have a job that that doesn't require such uh, proximity and you're not client facing and you don't need to, or even if you're client facing that that client is not really requiring you to come and uh, visit uh, them physically every uh, every now and then uh, then yes, if the role is such, that's that's the first hurdle. But the second hurdle, and which probably is most you know critical, is the mindset of the mm. employee is is something that comes later. It's the mindset of the manager that has to be such that he or she can manage the team remotely. Because as the employee has to be disciplined, so does the manager. So the manager mm. has to first of all lay down the. Uh, the parameters, you know, the uh, uh, the the actual guidelines as to how this is going to work, and there are you know certain uh, uh, things that you need to be careful about that you know people don't lose touch with with the organization. So there has to be some interaction, and uh, doesn't mean that uh, it has to be face to face all the time, but it needs to be on. Like for example, we always say try to have more video calls than phone calls. At least have one video call in a in a week with the team because people want to see each other. That's mm. where the affinity to each other comes. They feel a part of 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 uh, of a common goal only if they see your face, if they know who that person is. So these are small things. So you you learn this as a manager as you go ahead. But I think the discipline first of all has to be established by the manager, and then the employees do follow through because it it is something which is benefiting them. Uh, they are spending less time uh, commuting and doing other unnecessary things. They're spending more quality time at home. They're, they're doing things that they actually like. So they want to make this work because they know that if their productivity is not good. If it's not up to the mark, the company will call them back to the office. And mm. if they don't want that situation to happen, then they will make their efforts to, you know, make uh, uh, make make their job uh, uh, as make their time, uh, you know, on, on the job even remotely as productive as possible. So it's it's I think it's got it's got to do with the management, uh, the the respective manager of teams to to you know uh, put that discipline and that framework in place. Yeah, interesting. You talk about the manager. I guess that's where it starts, isn't it? Is the the company culture and how flexible it is to adapt to this because you know there was a time when if you work from home if you're a consultant or an entrepreneur or you know some developer you, you would hide the fact that you worked from home right you, you would have you remember everybody had mailing addresses and i would tell people yeah come come to my office in you know like east london or you know the city in london yeah. but i would be living in surrey for example and i would hide the fact but now it's different, isn't it? You can get away with telling people that you work from home and it's absolutely fine, or you work from a co-working space, it's absolutely fine. In fact, I think it's actually better for the client or the customer, isn't it? Because 
they don't have to pay for all the office or the the overhead that they you know all those savings that you talked about absolutely absolutely okay uh, there's so much i want to talk about this but i can't forget to ask you how this all started because this is the most important thing right reboot life <laughs> where did the idea come from because you're an entrepreneur right you're an yeah. entrepreneur and you, you're you have side the side businesses you have a day job as well you have other businesses on the go and then this idea comes up tell us a little bit about the story of how this all started Actually, it's very interesting. So I, uh, so I've, uh, I've, I've worked with the same, you know, uh, organization for about ten years, and that's like straight out of uh, business school. I got recruited as a management trainee, and I was with the same organization for about ten years. And uh, I was sort of an entrepreneur within the organization because uh, we started two new businesses, which you know both uh, uh, started with uh, me being the first employee in that particular business, and it grew to you know whatever level. So I had that, you know, uh, idea of how to get things started and I was really keen to do it on my own. So when I was, uh, uh, for the first time when I uh, uh, got into an entrepreneur mode, uh, you know, independently and not with the backing of, 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 of the company, uh, that's when things were very, very uh, busy and, you know, this, the same 20-hour work days were, were very common, mm-hmm. trying to launch a new product, uh, a new brand. And that's when uh, my uh, my son, that time I only had uh, the elder one, so he was about five and a half, six years old, and uh, he comes up to me and says that, okay, we have to go to this particular place, and you know, you've know, you been promising me a holiday for uh, for almost uh, a year now, and we haven't gone. So I, wow. so I tried to reason with him, saying that, okay, you know, we will go, and it's just, I'm starting this new project, and it's going to take me a few more months to, to get it, you know, uh, to make it stable. And very innocently, he was like, uh, "You you work, you know, on your laptop the entire day. You work on your phone the entire day. Why can't you do this if if we go to?" And he was talking about Goa, which is a beach destination mm. in, in, towards the the uh, western coast of India. So he he just said, "Why can't you do it uh, uh, from Goa?" And although not that I did, uh, you know, take that vacation at that point of time, but it just it it just struck a chord with me, saying that. As a person, I'm, I'm somebody who loves traveling, and uh, most of my work over the over the last few years had shifted to a point where it was either done uh, done uh, you know online or it was done over the phone. So my physical interaction with with any person uh, professionally was very limited. It could be done for, you know a few days a month, and it just uh, that idea just stuck to me that okay, why don't we think about uh, you know uh, combine making work or travel should be combined into work and travel. Because mm. everybody you talk to and people who are, you know, avid travelers or who are at least dreamers who want to travel, the first thing they would have said like two, three years back is, I'm saving up to, you know, take this world tour once I retire, or I'm going to take a gap year, as you said, I'm going to take a year off and I'm going to travel, or I'm going to, whenever I'm in between jobs, I'm going to do this. So it's always, it was either work or travel. At the moment you talk about a concept like Reboot Life, the whole thing becomes and. Yeah. So just pick up a job that you think you can do on the road, and that way as you get to experience a new city every month or you know, whatever time frame you want, live in a different city every month, couple of months, make it your home for as long as you want, and move on. Not everybody has the luxury. Maybe people have families, people you know have other commitments, but nobody can have the excuse of saying that I can't do it for even a month or two months. Because then you can't even do a world trip. and You're just, you know, fooling yourself. Mm. If you're saying that you're going to travel the world, then you will have to take a few months out of, you know, a few months time out of your life to do that. So I'm saying do it with with, with your job uh, that you anyways were supposed to do. So And let your job pay you for it. 
So if you're going to take a gap year, you're going to not only spend money on travel, you're also going to lose money for that one year of productive pay that you would have got. So here you're keeping your pay, even if you're keeping, let's say, a, a little less than what you would have earned if you're going to the office. It's still worth it because even if you're getting only 80% of what you would have got otherwise, you are covering your travel expenses through that earning. And, and that makes, I mean, it's it's just it's just too good to be true. If, if somebody told me when I was in my 20s, I would have actually, you know, just given up whatever job I had, I would have just looked hmm. for a job that allowed me to do this right. even if it meant taking <laughs> exactly. a pay cut. Because, exactly. Because the whole idea of earning money was to travel. So if you could do both at the exactly. same time. So like... Uh, you, so that's how it came about. Well, you, you mentioned the key phrase there, fooling yourself, which I think it's worth spending a little bit of time unpacking that because, like you said, we all do this. We always think that freedom's just around the corner. We think that, okay, let me just finish this project first, two months or, you know, I'll do that. I'll get around to traveling when, you know, we, uh, we, we, we finish this internal reorg or I get promoted or I get more salary or get a better job. It's always someday isn't it the someday aisle that we sort of put all our dreams on and that, that's the problem isn't it because that never happens and before you know it boom it's sort of too late and it yes, takes it takes a child like your son to have that kind of insight to say well why not you know why not you you have to sort of challenge the the dominant mode of thinking and here's the interesting thing i'll bring you some data here is that uh, there was a there was a survey by the daily mail the newspaper in Britain, yeah, yeah, in UK. Yeah. It, it, it asked people, you know, about winning the lottery and it said, well, what would you do if you won the lottery? You know, so if you had enough money that you didn't have to worry about money for the rest of your life. Number one answer, 81% of people said travel the world. And this is interesting because when I hear that, I think what that does, it's kind of like fooling ourselves a little bit because we think we have to win the lottery to go and travel the world, Right. But the reality is you don't. You, you can go and do this now. You don't have to win the lottery. You know, you can pick yourself and get up and do it. And I think this is what you're offering. And I wonder, like, you know, when you start talking about Reboot Life, whether people, or obviously the people who get it, get it, but some people might think, oh, oh, I'm a little bit scared now. Now you're giving me the chance to fulfill my dreams. I might back off a little bit. Yeah, you're right. And in fact, you know, what would be interesting in, in uh, for those surveyors to figure out is that of all the people who actually won the lottery in the last 50 years, <laughs> how many traveled at the first time? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. But I, I wonder. Yeah, you'll, and you'll be, I'm, I'm, I'll be surprised if that number was more than 50%. Oh, oh single digits. Yeah. yeah people would have found some other way to, you know, uh, spend that money. So right. you're right. Even people who finally, uh, the ones we speak to, so people apply for, 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 Becoming a participant with Reboot Life, they they apply for it. They have an interaction with uh, one of the admissions team people, and even if they realize that their job is you know such that uh, they may be able to you know do this remotely, there is a lot of you know internal pushback yeah, that yeah. every individual has. They actually sometimes I feel they come up with excuses. You know, it's just yeah. like oh you know my child is too young, or uh, I'm I'm thinking of you know, uh, focusing on my career and getting ahead in the next one year, probably then I can do it. So, you know, the next promotion or it's, it's just not for me. I, I don't I don't think I can, you know, live uh, out of a suitcase uh, for, for, the, for a prolonged period of time. So people have this, it's it's actually, it's either inertia or it is, it is the, uh, you know, fear of the fear. unknown. Fear, But yeah. it's just, you've got to take that leap of faith. And once you do it, you will thank yourself for the rest of your life because yeah. it is something which will change your 
you know, your outlook towards life in general, you know, how you look at people, how you look at other cultures, how you look at uh, your profession, how you, what is the importance that you give to work in your life and what is the importance you give to other things that you're working towards. So you're working to earn money and that month, that comfort is going to lead to something else, but that's something else, you know, it may not even come. Who says that you're actually going to live a certain age? Yeah. Nobody knows that, right? So you've got to take it during the time that you have an opportunity. Well, I mean, you know, that is the best advice anybody could offer anybody. I think that to say that you've got to take the opportunity now is so important, isn't it? And, and not to sort of tell yourself these stories. You're absolutely right. It is fear. And you allow fear to edit all your dreams in your life, don't you? And everything you say, that sort of internal discourse that you have, you know, you come up with these excuses as to why you can't do something, which are really just excuses, you know, it's holding you back. There's that scene. I, I remember that scene from Wall Street, the movie, with Charlie Sheen. You go way back to the 80s. Yeah. And Charlie Sheen and his girlfriend, and Charlie Sheen's girlfriend's asking Charlie Sheen, you know, why do you do all this? You know, and he was working in like the boiler room type, you know, share pump and dump type operation. And he said, uh, you know, I, I, I guess that if I can make a bundle of money, out of this racket, then I can, you know, get out, I can buy a motorbike and I can ride across China. And it's interesting. I think people have those kind of dreams and those kind of like nonsense excuses because how much do you actually need to buy a motorbike and ride across China? A few thousand dollars? Everybody could do that, right? Yeah. So we're kind of telling ourselves these stories, like you say, you know, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about my career and you know all that kind of stuff, right? So when, when people actually go on these programs, what are you hoping that changes inside of them? Is there sort of like a, you know, like some sort of gradual realization or a light switch moment? Do you think people, all those things that you mentioned about how they think about work and so on, how do you want people to change or how do you want people to think differently about these things? So uh, if you take it in, I'll take the question in two parts. One, what I want people to think and secondly, what, would actually happen once you're on the ground. And I'm coming from experience because I've actually traveled with, uh, you know, a group of people for, for, for a, a few weeks. So I know how, you know, things change. So the first thing is, what are we, uh, uh, ex what, what they should expect, right? So f it's, it's not a light switch moment. I think the light switch moment, uh, moment is when you say yes. Mm. So when you actually decide that you're going, you know, and there is, uh, there is uh, a commitment you make uh, of paying a deposit, you know, the initial uh, uh, deposit to secure your spot on the program, any program, it could be anything, right? So Reboot Life has one and I'm sure other programs would have it as well. So once you make that, that's the realization, okay, now this is happening, all right? So the moment this is happening, suddenly, you know, from a non-believer, you become a believer, all right? Mm -hmm. So all this internal struggle and excuses that were there previously, the light switch moment actually tells you, okay, I'm doing this and this is the best thing I could have decided for myself. You're anxious, you're nervous, you don't know what's going to happen, but then you suddenly become a believer. You said, okay, I am going to make this work. I am going to you know, be disciplined when I'm, I'm there. I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to meet some interesting people. All right, so it starts from there. Once you've reached you know, the, the destination, the first destination, and you, know, you, you get uh, accommodated into the program, 
that's where it's gradual because first there's a lot of hesitation. It's, it's like, you know, uh, going to a university and meeting uh, your classmates for the first time, you know, mm. meeting new friends for the first time. So it, it just takes a little bit of, you know, uh, fine tuning and, and just getting to know each other and break, breaking of the ice. And that's where, you know, the program coordinators uh, come into the picture. They, uh, they make sure that everybody, you know, gets well acquainted, sort of, you know, uh, get comfortable around each other. But once that happens, then I feel the light switch moment or it's, it's the realization that, wow, you know, why did I not do this earlier? Right. So like, for example, I'll give you a very simple thing. What, what uh, uh, you know, a question I was asked and the answer, you know, that uh, sort of made sense. So somebody asked me, what is, wh- what is your competition? Competition in the sense that uh, uh, what do you think is uh, are people, you know, uh, uh, going to make a choice between? People say, you know, it would be a luxury holiday for just one month or this program for probably, you know, six months. Or it could be, you know, other programs like this, which are a little different and they offer something else. I said, no, it's not that. Because there are very few programs actually in the world and there are a lot more people who can do this. The diff- the choice that a person has to make is, do I buy a luxury car or do I upgrade yes. my car? Do I pay a deposit on a new house? You know, do I take a cruise vacation or do I do this? That's the decision you have to take. Is buying a car right now going to be more rewarding to you as a person than investing the same money in this and and going across the world for a year where you're not compromising on your professional goal, probably becoming a better, you know, a professional while you're there on the road because you would have so much of experience that uh, no office or, you know, book can actually teach you. Yes, absolutely. That's the the hard question that you're asking though, isn't it? Where you're you're unearthing difficult issues, which people are, you're asking people to face, which are holding them back. And that whole issue of, do I buy a car? Do I extend the house, et cetera, et cetera. That's the temptation, isn't it? Because it's the easy yeah. thing to do. And I wonder as well, because it's, you know, when we are old and gray, older and grayer, I should say, that when we are sort of looking back on our life and wondering, you know, what the hell was that all about? What's going to make us laugh and cry about our experiences? It's not going to be that car, is it? We're not going to sort of sit around and go, oh, yeah, I love that BMW. You know, it didn't make any difference, really, in your lifestyle. Yes. What, what made the difference was that year that you went and did something magical. That's what you're going to yes. talk about with your grandkids or your, you know, over a beer with your buddies, right? That's what, that's what it's all about, effectively. Experiences, not things, right? Absolutely. And so actually, when you think about it, you rightly said, so when you're older and grayer, you will realize that what you gave up was so little compared to what you did. And on the other side, it will be like, what I gained was something yeah. so immaterial that I don't, I don't even remember the model of the car that I bought. And I gave up something which could have probably, you know, changed my outlook towards life. Because it's not just this one year or a few months. People who've done such programs, it's like a huge percentage of them have actually gone ahead and changed their career goals they've actually mm. gone into different lines of work somebody who was a banker all all his or her life has become a you know a, a musician they've, they've taken up their passion of music they've taken up their passion of art sculpture they've taken up their passion of cooking so I, i'm talking about people who've done you know such digital nomadic who've lived such lifestyles for the last few years and their stories that you read online it's not just about that one year or the few months that you're traveling it's actually giving yourself a chance to live a life you don't even know you want right now. Yeah. It's yeah. actually your life's calling that's, that's waiting for you. Absolutely. And you don't need to win the lottery to do this, right? You know, don't, 
Well, your chances of winning the lottery are one in, I don't know, 25 million or something. You're more likely to get struck by lightning. This is something yeah. you can actually take control of and do right now. At least, you know, start the process. You know, go and check out Reboot Life and you know, see if it makes sense for you. Uh, but before, you know, before I let you go, Nitin, I, I want to ask about India. Obviously, you're based in yeah. New Delhi. and yes. Because I think this is really interesting in the context of India and in the sense that, you know, you're in India, which possibly has more digital talent than anywhere else in the world. You know, the number of people who are software engineers or programmers or any anything related to the digital world, they're all there in India, especially a place like Gorgon, where you've got all the big, you know, outsourced um, IT companies there, right? You know, the, 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 those huge call centers and, and all those people who kind of work remotely for organizations somewhere else in the world. So you have all that. And you have this sort of growing, this generation of people in India coming through who want to be entrepreneurs now, yet, you know, digital nomad-wise, there isn't really a, a scene there yet. Is things, are things changing? Because when, when people think digital nomads in Asia, it's always Chiang Mai or Bali or, you know, those are the main choices, aren't they? People don't really sort of consider India as an option there because there isn't a lot or hasn't been a lot going on. Maybe they're just catching up. What's going on? So first of all, I think the biggest change that... I have seen in the last 18 odd months since uh, you know we started working on this project is that co-working spaces suddenly uh, you know from being a novelty have have actually become uh, just you know the way of life and when I say co-working spaces I mean uh, not only are you know more uh, youngsters uh, starting their uh, uh, their companies and you know uh, uh, such uh, consultants and all you know taking space to to work from uh, from an office, but also regular uh, you know uh, corporations are giving up offices in you know branch offices, sales offices in 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 different cities where their headquarters are not there, and they are converting, uh, you know, those they're telling those teams to actually work out of co-working spaces. That is a very, very significant change because mm. suddenly if, let's say, the co-working, you know, uh, total number of seats available in India, in India were 118 months ago, it's actually close to 500 right now and it's only going to grow to uh, another exponential number in the next few years. So that suddenly, you know, the whole uh, experience of sitting with uh, 20 different companies in the same venue and having interactions over coffee with people who are doing completely different things to what you're doing, that opens up a lot of, uh, you know, uh, 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 it, it opens people up for a lot more uh, enterprising ventures. Mm. A lot of collaboration happens, and and people realize that okay, even if I'm working in a company and and I'm, and, and you know I'm doing X uh, X job, it doesn't have to be that way. There there are live examples in front of me where people have made it big, doing something different, and you know uh, living their dream. So I think co-working spaces becoming uh, very uh, popular is is one significant change. But as far as uh, digital nomadic lifestyles is concerned. India does have some hotspots where a lot of uh, you know uh, uh, foreign uh, population comes and stays for a few years. Uh, it's not uh, a digital nomadic lifestyle per se. It's more people who are backpacking and who are on gap years. So that's one. But I, what I also see is that uh, uh, there are very few Indians who are living the lifestyle of a digital nomad, even going outside of the country. And that slowly is changing mm. because if I look at the applications that we get from across the world, uh, there is uh, surprisingly there is a significant portion of that 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 that, that is coming from India and from uh, Southeast Asia, which is which is very very promising because once this uh, you know uh, gets 
into the, the into the wider population it becomes an acceptable lifestyle mm. uh, we do have the numbers to you know just uh, 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 multiply uh, the acceptability of such programs going forward yeah yeah without a doubt open the floodgates because of, of all the yeah. countries in the world that need these kind of programs and, and need to you know not just in terms of cost savings but in terms of just sort of fulfillment you know, there's there's a whole gener- generation of people now in India that have, you know, m- maybe don't want to be a doctor or an engineer, or you know, maybe if they do want to be a doctor or an engineer, they maybe can do part of that remotely. It's possible yeah. now. I mean, it, God forbid that you could become a doctor who wasn't, you know, fixed to one city. But in some cases, it's possible. You could work in medicine and you could work remotely. And it, engineers yeah. most certainly can, right? You know, they have access to the data and to the internet. So, I mean, that certainly will be an interesting development just to see how that community develops in India. And as you said, once that gets out into the wider community, it, it spreads very fast, like digital nomading, right? I mean, everybody found out about Chiang Mai without the mainstream media writing anything about it, right? I think it was, you know, only a couple of years ago, the mainstream media writer started writing about Bali and Hubbard and stuff like that. But everybody knew about it many, many years before that. So it's already out there. Yes. So it's an interesting area that you're in and, and, you know, what you're doing with Reboot Life is fascinating to see how that, that goes. And it w- would be, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot and ambush you, but a request, if at some point in your travels, we could get a, a travel log update from the Reboot cohort, wherever you are in the world, some podcast Absolutely. where we could talk to you and your experiences and some of your cohort and find out what's going on, whether you're in Bali or whether you're in Chiang Mai or where else in the world. It's, would be fantastic to get Absolutely. that update. Absolutely. So we, we will be updating everything on the on the uh, blog that uh, we will have on the website. And of course, uh, we'll be very happy to uh, talk to you again. In fact, I'll get some of the uh, participants to, to join for the next uh, podcast and they can actually tell you how it's been for them and what they're looking forward to. That would be amazing. I look forward to that. Nitin Sahani, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you and I absolutely love talking about this subject as well. And I think you, you are speaking to the heart of a lot of people uh, and maybe some people who haven't sort of woken up to it, but you've pl- like your son did to you, you've planted a seed in their head, you know, and maybe that seed will grow and you just have to kind of just at least go and check it out. I mean, even if it's you, you do say it's not right now, right this time, at least go and check it out. Go and check out Reboot Life and just be inspired. And, you know, maybe not this one, maybe the next one, who knows? But at some point, you have to go and take this opportunity and do something like this because it really will, as we say, it'll be the stories you'll be talking about when you're old and gray. Absolutely <laughs> worth it. Nitin, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure, Grant. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Excellent. And just before you go, I forgot to ask you a website domain name. Give us the website that they can go and check you out. Yeah. And then I'll uh, let you go. It's it's www. r e b o t hyphen life l i f e dot com. Excellent. The journey starts here. Go and check it out, folks. And you can reach out to Nitin as well. I'm sure you have a lot of questions if you're interested in this experience or just generally the whole idea of remote work. I'm sure Nitin would be happy to talk to you if you reach out to him. We'll put all the details in the show notes and an update at some point in the future. Nitin, look forward to having you back on the show. Absolutely. I'd love to. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.